So this practice that we uh, have the blessing to be able to practice uh, is a practice that uh, the Buddha taught. Uh, it's found in the Pali Canon, the teachings the Buddha gave uh, 2,600 years ago as he traveled in northern India. The Buddha uh, offered his teachings. He also, uh, and what he found and what he discovered, uh, not what he thought up and uh, concepts and ideas that he uh, manufactured, but what he saw through his own experience as a human being and what he came to understand would lead to happiness uh, uh, in this human life. So uh, to that end, the Buddha, you know, we can think of the Buddha as a role model. Uh, I always like to say, you know, we all need to have role models and, you know, to me, the Buddha is a good, a good, a good enough role model. Uh, you know, we might as well choose role models that are uh, that are worthy of being role models. So, when when the Buddha was a uh, uh, relatively young young man, quite a young man, I would say, uh, twenty nine years old, he uh, he. Uh, changed his life. He had a change of heart, as we often say, uh, and decided to change his life. He, uh, he was uh, a witness to what's known as the Four Messengers. Uh, he stepped out from his very isolated and sheltered life as a prince, and, you know, his family kept him very sheltered. As, as, you know, I mean, the Buddha's story isn't so different from any of our stories in the ways that we live and uh, the ways that our lives may be sheltered. Uh, the Buddha stepped out into the world and uh, realized through what he saw that there was sickness, aging, and death. Those are the first three messengers. And he realized uh, he had an insight into the limitations of the conditioned realm Right? Uh, and that uh, the conditioned realm couldn't bring a lasting happiness. That's right. Like, like my internet freezing at nine, you know, fifty-five this morning is an example of the limitations of the conditioned realm, and the internet and Zoom can't bring a reliable happiness. It's not a reliable happiness. It's not a lasting happiness. So perhaps in in a more pro, as a as a more prosaic example of the limits of the conditioned realm, uh, and then the fourth messenger was uh, the the monk, the wandering uh, 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 contemplative that the Buddha saw, uh, which he had never seen that before. He saw uh, a monk, a contemplative, and he was inspired. By, by the sight of that monk and that contemplative, and he was inspired to live a spiritual life. You know, the fact that the Buddha had never before seen a contemplative, had never seen an example of somebody living a spiritual life, uh, is again, I think, uh, not so different from uh, the way that our lives are. Uh, uh, we tend to be sheltered from, uh, if you want to use that word, sheltered from uh, the uh, the possibilities of having that kind of a life. Uh, we don't see many examples of 
beings living a spiritual life. Um, you know, it doesn't get much play in our culture. It doesn't get much play. Or as I like to say, it doesn't get much play and it doesn't get much pay, yeah, which sort of are the same thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, we don't, we aren't exposed to uh, the spiritual life. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, for many of us, it's not, you know, a way of life that we would even consider. Uh, because we haven't been shown many examples of that way of life, just like the Buddha wasn't. And even in Buddhism, of course, you know, the notions of Buddhism as a spiritual practice have been have been drained out of Buddhism in a lot of the ways that Buddhism is taught. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, we don't tend to think necessarily even as Buddhism as a path in which our goal is to attain spiritual growth. But of course, for the Buddha, that's what it was about. It was about living a spiritual life. He saw that contemplative, and he was inspired by that sight of that contemplative to live in that way. You know, I always like to kid around and say, you know, if you grew up in my neighborhood, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't the kind of... Uh, you know, existence that you were, uh, you know, that you were uh, apt to find uh, talked about and uh, and regaled, yeah, uh, as 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 a way of life that would be uh, beneficial. I think I think uh, I've been thinking. You know, lately this year is uh, is my fiftieth uh, high school anniversary of my graduation, uh, and uh, so fifty years ago I was in my senior year. You know, and uh, you know, I, I mean, I I was in high school you know, at the tail end of the '60s and the early '70s, so you know there was still some of that altruism in the air. And uh, it wasn't quite as maybe the, the group just before me, which was really imbued with that 60s altruism and we can change the world. Uh, we had some of the, like, you know, the Crosby, Stills and Nash albums and stuff. But, uh, but, but there was still, for many of us, I think, you know, a, an idea of wanting to live in a more, more altruistic way, you know, as part of, as part of, despite the fact that, you know, may, we may have... Uh, you know, the notion of a spiritual life, you know, but, you know, we, there was that spiritual life that many of us saw it in, 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 in drugs, uh, and, uh, you know, in music and in, 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 you know, in various ways that, you know, the counterculture expressed, uh, its values. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think, I think that influenced me certainly in, in my own efforts, uh, you know, many years later on to live in a more spiritual way in particular. Uh, you know, I think about like the people, you know, sort of the, you know, the people that I knew, people that I knew back in, back in high school who uh, went on into the world. And, uh, you know, there, there, were, there were, you know, the, many of the, the being, beings are certainly quite a few uh, sought to live in a way that was uh, a life of more generosity and virtue, 
I think of the valedictorian from my, my high school. Uh, you know, she became a psychologist. You know, she became actually quite a well-known child psychologist. And some of my friends who were, uh, you know, at the top of the class went on to become uh, physicians and surgeons. And a few became college professors. I often uh, uh, contrast that with uh, my, my younger brother, Dave, who uh, uh, is 13 years younger than me, and, uh, and he has a real altruistic and, you know, a generosity, uh, you know, that, that generosity of spirit, which probably he got to some extent growing up, and, you know, with an older brother like myself, but uh, in, in a house, you know, where we were playing those Crosby, Stills, and Nash records, but, uh, 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 you know, and I, I think of his friends from high school, who I know, who I knew uh, some of them pretty well, or, you know, I knew of them, uh, kids from the neighborhood, you know, good kids, smart kids, bright kids, you know, but, but almost all of them went on to, like, Wall Street, you know? You know, it, so there was this contrast between my generation and my brother's generation, you know, and sort of the best and brightest in my brother's generation. You know, this was the 80s. It was the mid-80s. So they all went on to Wall Street and, you know, uh, became masters of the universe. I mean, and the, the amount of money that some of these kids, kids there, you know, they're, they're grown men and women now made is just like, it's mind-boggling. So the Buddha chose to uh, to live a life uh, committed to spiritual growth. He chose to live a spiritual life. He chose to give up uh, that life that was dedicated to uh, material things uh, and the pleasures of the world and uh, uh, live uh, a spiritual life. He says, he said, uh, and he ret as he retells his story, he says, so at a later time when I was still young, he was 29 years old, so at a later time when I was still young, black-haired, endowed with the blessings of youth in the first stage of life, right, that first stage, they talk about the three stages of life, the first third, he was in the first third, endowed with the blessings of youth in the first stage of life, having shaved off my hair and beard, Though my parents wished otherwise and were grieving with tears on their faces, I put on the ochre robe and went forth from the home life into homelessness. He went on to live the spiritual life, though his parents wished otherwise and were grieving with tears on their faces. You know, and I think uh, You know, it's sort of like it's sort of like it's the last thing our parents want, you know, is 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 uh, is 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 for us to you know to live a spiritual life. You know, it's uh, you know, and some of that is, you know, just that wish of the parent that the child is safe and secure and has enough money uh, and can support himself and her or herself. But we tend to be shielded by our parents and by our culture from from living in a certain way. So I, I think, you know, and, and you know, this was something that on my retreat uh, came up as a reflection 
was something that I uh, I questioned or uh, or uh, sought to understand. Uh, you know, just this this question. You know, I think that we all have to kind of ask if we're following this path: is what is our pr- priority to spiritual growth? What is our priority to spiritual growth? Uh, you know, we're not going to be monks or nuns. Most of us, myself, probably not at this stage, included. Uh, but we can still live a life that's committed to spiritual growth. You know, we tend to think of things in black and white. Oh, I'm going to be a monk or a nun or a priest or a, you know, a rabbi or whatever, and or I'm going to be, you know, the manager of a hedge fund, you know, and there's sort of no in between, uh, you know. Uh, so I think, you know, for myself, there was always sort of this, not wanting to lay claim to living a spiritual life because I wasn't a monk or a nun, because I hadn't dedicated my life fully to that endeavor. Yeah. But I sort of had this realization, you know, you know, and, you know, just one of those moments is that, you know, you, you know, you, you, you're living a life dedicated to spiritual growth. You know, I mean, the other thing is, you know, we tend to judge ourselves. Well, I do this, I did this bad thing, and I do that rotten thing, and I said this to that person, and I acted like an idiot here, so how could I be uh, living a spiritual life, you know? That's something that we all have to kind of learn. You know, we are living in this conditioned realm. You know, we are going to make mistakes, you know, but we can be committed to a life of spiritual growth. So what is our commitment to spiritual growth, to spiritual life? Do we think of our practice in terms of it being a way of living a spiritual life? Is that how we think of Dharma practice? You know, and, and, and it, I think it's, it's always fits and starts, right? It's fits and starts for us. Uh, you know, we... I mean, for much of my adult life until the time I was in my mid-30s, I really didn't have much interest in spiritual life, you know, and then that became something that I started to consider and started to move in that direction. Uh, But it's been a very gradual process, sometimes two steps forward and one step back. I mean, that's sort of the process of moving forward. You know, it's kind of fits and starts. Even if you think of the Buddha's descriptions of uh, stages of enlightenment, you know, the first stage being stream entry, you know, and this might serve as just a metaphor for us, the first stage being stream entry, you know, you get into the stream. So that's the classic metaphor. I'm on one side. I want to get across the river to the other side. Uh, I want to get across the stream. So the first stage in living a spiritual life is, you know, you enter the stream uh, and then the second stage is known as a once returner. You jump back up onto the shore for a little bit, you know, and then you get back in and then you become a non-returner. So it's only the third stage of enlightenment till you're fully committed to being in the stream. 
you know? So that's kind of how we are, you know, like we jump into the, we get it, we don't jump in, we kind of put a foot in the stream, pull it back, we get a part of the body into the stream, we jerk it back onto the shore, we kind of stand on the shore, do I really want to be, yeah, I guess being on the shore isn't so good. But on this shore, I'm going to get back into the water, uh, yeah, it's not bad, I'm swimming around, yeah, it's, oh, you know what, I, I, I see something good back on where I, I'm going to get back onto that old shore, get back there for a while, oh, you know, this really does suck, let me get back in there, then you start getting in the stream a little bit more, and you look and you start to see the far shore, and you go, oh my God, I think I can get there. I think I can get there. It's within reach. Let me start. Oh, no, I, I don't know if that I can. Oh, I'm going back, you know, and then you just get back in and then you kind of see what I'm saying, you know, but gradually you're kind of making your way across the stream. You know, the Buddha's journey was one of fits and starts, at least in terms of the, the, the process that he was following. Uh, at first, he saw that wandering contemplative and decided to become a monk uh, and follow the teachers of his time who were teaching uh, ascetic disciplines, uh, practices of renunciation and self-denial. And he did that for six years, those practices, and realized that, you know, he, he hit, he hit a, a, a wall, you know, that he wasn't you know, he made some growth spiritually, but he had stopped growing spiritually. He had stopped growing spiritually, and he wasn't going to be able to get to the other shore, you know, in following uh, those, that form of, uh, of spiritual practice that he was following, or those forms, because he followed a few different forms of ascetic practices. And, of course, then he had his awakening into what was... Uh, the essence of a spiritual life and what it and what that meant, and what he realized was that uh, it was uh, uh, it was uh, a function of his actions. It's a function of a human being's actions, and actions determine our actions determine what our life uh, is. Uh, and and then he realized that uh, our spiritual growth. And our capacity to live a, a spiritual life is dependent on taking actions that are informed specifically by the heart, specifically by loving kindness and compassion. And then he had, you know, this great realization that, you know, that's great, that's wonderful, you know, and I want to do that, but but I but it's hard to do that because my heart is blocked, because my heart is blocked, and and you know, spiritual growth, living a spiritual life, happiness uh, uh, is dependent on living in a way in which we're taking actions that are informed by love and compassion. But if the heart is blocked off and I'm cut off from those qualities of wisdom and love and compassion in the heart, I'm not going to be able to live a spiritual life. So he had his great realization, which is his realization into dukkha, what he called dukkha, there's that which is blocking the heart that's preventing me and it's preventing all of us from, from knowing the fruition of the spiritual life. You know, as much as we might want to be, you know, living in a spiritual way, the heart is blocked. So what we have to learn to do is to abandon what's blocking the heart or clinging, which is rooted in aversion and desire.
If we're able to unblock the heart, then we're able to take action that's most in tune with having a spiritual life. It's action that comes from the open heart or the awakened heart. It's awakened action. It's action. It's living in a way, living in a way that's informed by this purity of heart or what we sometimes say, you know, the Dhamma, the Dhamma inside. You know, we're able to connect to the Dhamma inside and we live from that place. So we all have this Dhamma inside. You know, we all have this Dhamma inside. You know, the practice is a practice of of knowing it, you know, knowing the Dhamma inside, connecting to it. We all have this capacity. It's there. You know, it's there. It's a Kaliko. It's part of the ever-present truth. We know it in the present moment, Sanditiko. We know it when we're present, the truth of the Dhamma that's always there. So we all have this incredible capacity, you know, this Dhamma inside. So it requires knowing it, requires resolve. You know, that was sort of the resolve that the Buddha made. I'm going to live a spiritual life. I think that, you know, I've been talking about this a lot recently. You know, it's sort of like what we tend to lack is that resolve. It's like, I can't do it. You know, if you don't think you can do it, then you're not going to resolve to do it. I can't really connect to the Dhamma inside. You know, maybe if I, you know, lived in, you know, in a monastery for three years, you know, and didn't talk to anybody and, you know, all this stuff, but, you know, I even have the internet. How am I going to, how am I going to connect to the Dhamma inside if I don't have the, if I have the internet? It's a good question, actually, but, uh, you know, maybe the question should be, you know, how am I going to connect to the Dhamma inside? You know, it's like, the problem isn't the internet. The problem is that we're not focusing where we need to focus. We're not looking where we need to look, uh, you know, inside. So, you know, but we, so can we make this resolve? Can we make this resolve or what is our resolve? And then it requires training. You know, the training is the path. You know, that was what, that's the fourth noble truth. The Buddha realized the heart is blocked. Uh, I can unblock the heart by letting go of clinging. When I do, the heart shines and I'm connected to the Dhamma inside. And the path that enables me to do that, you know, is the Noble Eightfold Path, which, you know, the heart of the path is the development of concentration. So it's interesting because, you know, the development of concentration is really the development of jhana, uh, which includes pleasure and contentment, which is so different from what the Buddha had been practicing. He had been practicing asceticism. So, uh, you know, so our practice is this practice of cultivating this inner contentment, you know, this inner abiding uh, uh, that's easeful. You know, and this really puts us in position to know the Dhamma inside, to abandon what's blocking the heart and to know the Dhamma inside. So that we are Dhamma, you know, we just are Dhamma, you know, it's like we drop away everything else and we're just Dhamma. So, you know, Ajahn Chah talked about this being Dhamma, being Dhamma. And that's living the spiritual life. So, you know, this being Dhamma is a place of happiness. This is a place of happiness. 
It's a place of happiness for us. And it's a place of happiness for all beings. It contributes to the happiness of all beings, of all beings. So I, I, I would, what I would submit to you is, you know, it's the development of spiritual growth uh, for ourselves and for all beings that's really going to be the key to having a better world. You know, that healing in this world, you know, which is a process that, as the Buddha said, takes many, many years or lifetimes, you know, is a process of spiritual healing. It's a process of spiritual healing. That's how we heal, heal the world, is through spiritual healing. That's going to be how uh, we can live a meaningful life and, and make a difference is by living a life in which we uh, are committed to spiritual growth. So, you know, as sort of Dharma teachers, I think it's, you know, it's incumbent on us to encourage, you know, to teach that, to teach that the Dhamma as a spiritual practice, as a way of us knowing happiness, but bringing a greater happiness and a goodness, uh, love and compassion and, and peace uh, to the world. And, and, you know, the purpose of Dhamma groups is to support people in that effort. Because you, outside of the group, there's not a lot of support for that. Yeah. Yeah, the, the purpose of the group is to support people in living a spiritual life. So, this happiness is for us, but it's a happiness... Uh, that contributes to all beings. You know, it's how we make a difference. You know, it's what we can offer into the world. You know, and, and 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 as you know, as we we often teach, it's what we leave behind. You know, it's what we leave behind. We leave behind our goodness. We leave behind our goodness. We leave behind the fruits of our good actions and our goodness and the way in which we've been able to live in this world uh, that's been an expression of a spiritual life. <clears throat> 